Jeremy. I was just listening to your Silencing the Voices episode when you said that I should ask you something if you felt other people should know. Well, I feel there's something people should know. Because of that, you have my permission to read it out and respond to it and use my name. I wouldn't be doing a very good job of letting other people know it if I didn't give you permission. When I was five, I had a shadow people encounter. I woke up to find them looking over me in my bed. When I tried to run through them to the bedroom light, one of them grabbed me and I think he flew up in the air and hit his head on the ceiling because I heard a bump. He screeched as he did that. He then screeched as he lowered me down. I ran to the light, turned it on, and when I did, they were gone. After this, I was terrified of being in that room alone in the dark. When my cousins visited and shared my room, I wasn't scared. When I went away and slept in the dark in the other bedrooms, I wasn't scared. Being in that room alone in the dark made me more terrified than I've ever felt. I slept with the light on until I was 13. When I became an adult, I had learned not to talk about it for fear of being thought mad or actually being mad. I had some experiences when I was working in a place away from my friends and stressed. I couldn't sleep around New Year 2008. I managed to relax my body, but not my mind. I heard some voice talking to me. Then I woke up, paralyzed and with a thumping noise in my ears. I managed to lift my arms up and saw a wave. Like a sin wave. Travel between my hands whilst pulling them together. Then it all faded away and I was back in reality. Years later, I was listening to Banal. That's Tim Banal from Banal of America who had Jason Offit on his show. Jason had written a book about shadow people. This was the first time I had heard something about it, and it felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. The interview didn't explain what happened, but it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And also, I didn't care what it was. I don't really have a question. I just wondered if you had any ideas about it. Best wishes, Stuart. To which I reply, Aloha, Stuart. Thanks. I'd be glad to talk about it on the show. Are these your only High Strangeness experiences, or have there been others? And the reason I ask this is because I know the answer, because I've been doing this for years. The answer is always, well, yeah, of course I've had others. Stuart says, back to me, many thanks, Jeremy. I had a few others. Hey, just like I predicted. When I was living alone as a teacher, I had lots of sleep paralysis and felt there was something in the room, but not a shadow person. The light was on too, but there was a dark figure there, but it didn't scare me like a shadow person. It seems that as the less stressful and lonely my life got, the less this happened. I had other intense experiences, but they're all dreams. I remember dreaming about shadow people when I was two. Also, when I was maybe three or four, I remember dreaming of waking up and going downstairs and feeling the presence of a terrifying monster in the kitchen. I didn't see much of it, but what I saw was like a pink blob. Now that I'm older, I would describe it as a Lovecraftian horror creature, but I didn't know that at the time. I had lots of nightmares about shadow people. Sometimes that ended in me falling and then waking up. I also had a lot of nightmares about waking up in my room, but the lights in my house wouldn't work, and that there was something or someone bad at the front door, but I would wake up before I opened it. These dreams have gotten less frequent as I got older. The last one I had was about two years ago, and the feeling was more of irritation than terror. On the night of the sin wave, I started feeling a buzzing sensation at the base of my brain, which I sometimes feel about other places. One was at some 
Wiccan ritual I stumbled on, and the last time I felt it was in a wood. There was also one time when I was at the pub and one of my friends asked another of my friends a question about whether they had done something earlier, and I just felt someone in my torso. And I knew what the answer was before they said it. There was no way I knew it intellectually. I also saw a UFO last year. It was a flying, slow-moving orange circle that wobbled. But when I put photos of it on a Facebook group, people said it was a Chinese lantern. That checks out, so I'm sure that was not anything paranormal. Best wishes, Stuart. And then I ask him if I can use this exchange as well, and then he gives me permission. So begins this week's episode of Paratopia. Oh, I mean of our undoing radio. I'm sorry. Yes, this is definitely better fit for Paratopia. But uh, since he addressed it to our undoing radio uh, in the context of uh, an episode of our undoing radio, I shall answer it here. And because I'm answering it here and not on Paratopia, perhaps the answer will be a swerve of a different color. First, let's note that Stuart is no innocent. As often happens to be the case, in fact, almost always is the case when people write and they're like, I had this one time where this scary thing happened. Or I had this one time and then like years later, I had this other scary thing happen. But that's really it. Now, it turns out not only are there other things that have happened, but like... He's just stumbled into a Wiccan ritual. Nobody just stumbles into a Wiccan ritual, dude. You know that. Um, you're having experiences in the woods. Um, so I'm not saying you're looking for this stuff to happen, <laughs> but I'm saying the situations you're in, uh, it sounds like you're attracted to those types of situations and the occult type stuff on some level. Um and so, when you reach into the abyss, the abyss reaches into you. Um, if you do it authentically or by accident. <laughs> These seem to be the two. Uh, like, in other words, there are people who have uh, written to me and to me and Jeff and uh, saying, hey, you guys talk about if you have deep conversations and you really want this badly enough and blah, blah. It'll happen. Um, so I go out and I look into the skies for UFOs or I, you know, go to haunted locations with looking for EVPs or whatever it is, and they don't find anything. And um, so they quit. And here's, here's a clue. The, the type of person who's going to try it once or twice and then get bored and leave was never serious about it at all to begin with, even if they told themselves they were, which is why it didn't work. And I know that sounds like the kind of blame, like like you go to a guru and they blame you for not being enlightened because you just don't get it. Um, but this is more along the lines of you're lying to yourself that you ever wanted this deep connection in the first place. And that can be as blatant as that, or it can be that you do want that deep connection, but you haven't gotten over the surface feelings that you have about it to reach the depth that is required. And an example of that would be, and I think I've talked about it on this show too. In fact, I know I have. Uh, when I Remember when I got that Book of Mormon in the mail when I was a kid uh, to give to my grandmother because it was a free thing and then I, uh, they had a, like a give yourself to Jesus prayer in there and I read it a number of times and felt stupid 
And all those kid feelings you feel, you feel embarrassed, even though you're alone reading this thing out loud and wanting an effect. It's embarrassing. You feel guilty and stupid and embarrassed, like all these feelings that go into that. And why am I doing this and blah, blah, blah. And then once you get done with all of that and you still want to know what this is, um, when you get serious with yourself and have that moment where the the person of the shallows, uh, in Jungian terms, gives way to the person of the depths, that's when the connection happens and that's when the fun begins. <laughs> so you may have some sense of like, I wish I had a deep connection to the paranormal, the occult, UFOs, whatever it is, um, mysticism, but you can't, but you never get beyond approaching it with the shallow self, with the eyeballs to the sky, with, you know, the silence of someone meditating to call them in, which isn't silence at all. Um, all, you know, all of that stuff. I, I, I think that's pretty clear, right? Um, therefore you never make a connection and, Again, either you never really wanted one to begin with, or you just didn't use the correct tools, which is um, the person of the depths. But as Stuart here shows us, be careful what you wish for, because sometimes you uh, you reach you reach into the underworld. <laughs> Your invisible hand goes into the un- underworld, and uh, like a great fish hook, you reel in shadow people or something. Incidentally, I should add, this is why professional skeptics slash debunkers uh, tend not to have paranormal experiences um, is because they, the thing that they're cut off from, this is that, you know, you hear psychics say this a lot and then you, how, whatever you feel about hearing a psychic say it, it may sound like an excuse to say like, well, you won't make contact with the dead with a uh, skeptic in the room because they're like cutting off the energy or breaking the flow or whatever. Well, no, what they're really doing is they're not engaging the person of the depths because they don't believe in depth. Right. And, you know, famously Michael Shermer, who is an arch debunker, uh, had a paranormal encounter when he was uh, getting married which I think involved his wife's or soon-to-be wife's, I can't remember, deceased father turning on a radio in a meaningful way that was like sitting in a desk. It was like something that he couldn't deny. And, of course, he said it publicly, and then everybody in his circle of uh, fandom uh, crapped on him because he had trained them to not believe in anything while pretending to be open to everything. And, of course, that was a lie, right? That's not what a debunker is. Um, so he, he broke the cardinal rule of having an authentic, uh, unknowable or unknown experience and, um, talking about it (laughs) to his fan base and got a lot of flack for it. Um, but look how that happened. He wasn't like going to a haunted house. He wasn't on a TV show pretending to be interested in anything a believer has to say. Um, for the sake of science, right? He was having, uh, an, as George Hansen would point out, anti-structural moment, right? The big life upheaval, getting married um, in a good way, you know, presumably. They don't all have to be bad, bad things. It could be a change of a job to a better job. Whatever it is that, that switches your life around and makes room. And I would argue 
um, essentially breaks up the the surface shallow sense of self that is the one who is ensconced in and formed by routine. And once that's out of the way, here comes the underworld. Yeehaw! Or at least some sort of depth experience is uh, possible. So, none of that, by the way, is what we talk about on this show when we talk about uh, undoing in terms of understanding the sense of self so deeply that one dissolves. Um, Because all of you, the you, must dissolve. The depths, the shallows, the whole gamut, the entire thermometer (laughs) of you. All degrees of you must pass. You shall not pass. So this is different than Jung and uh, meditation as you likely know it. On Peritopia, we reach into the depths and we engage and we communicate even with them. On our undoing, um, it's we, we put that away. Uh... Because we want to know truth with a capital T for the sake of knowing truth, understanding truth, being truth, whatever that is, whatever it ends up is the truth of truth. We want to be the case. And so you're not going to get that by uh, engaging with wise ones in the Cthulhu realm or whatnot. Um, But I will say as far as like, shadow people go and all of that. Um, The only experience I even have that I can relate to that was when I did shrooms that one time. And then at some point during the night or early morning, I guess I should say, because this thing lasted forever, this this damn mushroom trip, um, the shadow, there were shadows coming from my closet, creeping into the room and it, you know, the feeling was like terror, like they were coming for me, like they were evil and they were coming to get me or something. They meant me harm. And so naturally I got up and left the room because that's what you do. And the, they didn't get me. And that's the moral to the story is like they don't get you, right? Like all these things that we fear that go bump in the night. The one thing that a child's imagination and the imagination reaching back at you have in common is uh, that they ultimately pass right through you, right? Shadow people aren't hurting you. They're not pulling you into Narnia. So they may provoke and stir feelings of terror, whatever they ultimately are. And um, I'm, I'm not even willing to say that that these shadow people are something paranormal or underworldly because... I don't know, but um, that you said you have bouts of sleep paralysis, I would look more into that. Then again, I'm always fond of uh, questioning what is actually sleep paralysis. Is that just a placeholder for, uh, you know, we don't know. I mean, it seems like there is something to sleep paralysis that is physiological and psychological, the mixture of the two, I guess, and for which science has an answer, but then science applies that answer beyond its bounds so that when people have experiences where they're not paralyzed or asleep, um, they still go, well, that was sleep paralysis. That was a hallucination. And I don't, I don't think it holds. 
any sway there. So if you're, I mean, I don't know, you're saying with the shadow people, like they bumped their heads and stuff. And so, I mean, that is pretty much in the room. I, I, I mean, I would be scared too, <laughs> you know, like, like, don't let my babble fool you. I would uh, probably have slept with the lights on until I was 13 as well. I mean, I did actually sleep, um, well, not with the lights on, but I mean, at some point I couldn't even sleep in my room. I had to sleep in my mom's room and on the floor next to her bed because I was just so afraid of my room for unknown reasons. I can't imagine having known reasons. But it's also interesting, the idea of dreaming about shadow people when you're a little kid, like two or three years old, and having this feeling of it being a terrifying monster kind of thing. I mean, does something like, do you have a dream like that when you're a kid and then it sticks with you and then it manifests tulpa like in the room later and, or uh, you hallucinate it just through dream chemicals and things like this in a half awake, half asleep state. Like does this sort of, if something latches on early on, I mean, we talk about this with the paranormal, the, um, that there might be a dangling carrot when you're a little kid and if you latch onto it, then you form this feedback loop with the paranormal. And you may end up with a lifetime of something that feels like communication or maybe even attack or something. But something that every now and then punctures your life and comes in and says, boogada boogada boo. Um, is it also possible, though, that you have a dream, you have a nightmare when you're a kid, you have recurring nightmare when you're a kid, and then that goes away, but it stays with you unconsciously and then manifests later through, like I say, either a hallucination or um, even just through an obsessive fear of the dark, let's say, whatever it is. I mean, these are, these are all possible, of course. What's most probable? Um, since we don't know, I guess it's whatever makes most sense to you, right? Go with that. There are no studies on this folks, but I will say that for me, the, the events that happened to me when I was a little, little kid, um, stuck with me in a way that, that I knew they weren't dreams. And I guess I wouldn't know if they were hallucinations or not, but I certainly knew they weren't dreams. And I certainly know that my family's reaction to them were, uh, was, was unsatisfactory and probably created in me a resistance to their authority on the subject and therefore society's authority on the subject. And so I was open to the, to the underworld in that way, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, whereas I had recurring nightmares about like being chased through the woods by a bear when I was a little, little kid. And that didn't, and you know, that didn't mean that when I was 13 or 14, suddenly I manifested a bear in my room through hallucinations and fear of the dark or whatever, like that never happened. So maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe the thing that makes sense is that it's an authentic paranormal encounter um, that is growing a relationship with you or something growing Oh, you know, I, I don't like to say too much about that because, uh, you know, everyone's got their interpretive spin. Is it growing a relationship with you? Is it manifest finding a way to manifest here because it needs to be in this world? I mean, you know, we've heard all the horror tales and sci-fi tales and psychic explanations. 
And um, at the end of the day, we don't know. But again, what we do know is that they don't seem to uh, be able to really hurt you. <laughs> In any way, they just, the terror is real, but the uh, repercussions don't appear to be. The, the, the thing that we're terrified of appears to not be a factor. It's misplaced or it's, um, you know, some sort of body allergy or something to whatever this is manifesting or psychic allergy. I mean, it, you know, maybe it's such an affront to the shallow self, to the surface self that we spent our whole lives building up and engaging the world with. And then this comes and just um, shatters that uh, in one false swoop. Um. Maybe it is the fear of the depth of ourselves because we're not used to sitting, sitting with that person. And we certainly don't engage the world with that person. Some introverts might, right? Oh, I, you know what? I should also, before I forget, just address the fact that Stuart says that he saw a UFO and then some friends uh, said it was probably a Chinese lantern. And he looked into it and it checks out that that probably is what it is. I mean, that's a great example of how Stuart would be someone you could trust to have some discernment with this. So if Stuart's saying that, you know, I know the difference between a dream, here are the dreams that I had, and an experience that seemingly is in the room, um, it's a lot easier to take him at his word when he has a record of having been able to discern uh, other things and not just gone with what he wanted it to be or the more fantastical option, I guess I should say. Um, because people always say in, in these fields, um, you know, on the new agey side, we shouldn't have any judgments, which is code for we shouldn't have discernment. Um, and what they mean is that they want me, usually, you know, as the host of a show, to put just as much stock into their delusional experiences as someone who seems to be having authentic experiences because um, we can't judge, right? Who, who am I to say who's right and wrong? And there is some truth to that. Like there is a cap at which you can know anything about someone else's experiences, but you can get a sense of whether someone's deluding themselves or not for sure, or whether they're lying or not for sure. And that is important because to not have that discernment, especially within yourself is to keep everything at the shallow surface level. And we are, in fact, talking about the depths. Yes, even when we're looking out there into the depths of space for aliens, we are being directed to do that by our culture, but it's a misdirection. These are issues of the depths. And, of course, it's tempting to want to engage that or block it out, which is its own engagement, if we're scared and don't you know, say we don't want anything to do with it. Um, but as Stuart notes, like it seemed to amp up when he was like lonely and alone and there's a clue there, right? There's a clue about being occupied in life <laughs> with routine, um, or even feeling okay about yourself, not even necessarily good, but just okay. Like, what is it when you feel depressed, when you feel bad, you become self-absorbed. You may not feel self-absorbed. In fact, you may hate self-absorbed people. 
because we're not talking about that type of outward narcissism. We're talking about the self-absorption of like a teenager who's just, you know, self-involved with their own feelings. And when you're self-involved with your own feelings, that is a way of uh, internalizing, which is kind of like the kissing cousin of the depths. It's like you, uh, you're, I don't know. You're sitting around listening to your Morrissey and your Doors albums and uh, <laughs> wondering why you and not the rest of the world about, you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> this is just what teenagers do, folks. And some of those teenagers are well into their 40s, 50s and 60s. Now, just for clarity's sake, when we talk about the depths or when I talk about the depths, um, we're not just or I'm not just. I'll stop doing that now. Uh, talking about your own personal baggage. We're also obviously talking about collective baggage (laughs) and also, um, what I've been calling the underworld, but that's just for lack of a better term. Um, I just kind of like that word, but I, you know, someone from a, uh, Eastern religiousy sort of background might call it the subtle realm. In fact, the realm uh, of subtlety is so subtle that uh, no one ever really defines what that is. I mean, recently I've just I've been getting into reading up about the subtle realm and watching YouTube videos and trying to figure out exactly what it is the that's being said here. And it sounds like the same thing that we talk about um, here and on Paratopia in terms of there being this. Um, Hidden ecology or this, uh, you know, imaginary but still alive somehow landscape, for lack of a better term, um, that we access through various states of mind. And it can include things as talkative, (laughs) as uh, gods and aliens, or as fanciful as unicorns. Um, all manner of spirit stuff or psychic stuff seems to be the subtle realm, including uh, what you might find on a mushroom or an ayahuasca journey. So subtle realm seems to be a pre-existing all of the above uh, term that is maybe better to use than underworld, which carries with it, well, the connotation of the vampire versus werewolf movie underworld, but also... You know, before that, the Greeks. So, okay, fine. If we change it to subtle realm, subtle realm phenomena, which also, by the way, includes, uh, according to Ken Wilber anyway, integral philosopher Ken Wilber, um, includes things such as uh, fanciful patterns, mandalas, uh, that spontaneously arise visionarily in in one who is even between um, certain stages of sleep or dream and sleep. You know, I don't know what the beta, felta, data, crata, trata, Joe's brainwave activity is, whatever that is. Um, Somewhere in there, you may end up seeing mandalas or you may see uh, a bunch of faces. The mandalas thing, I mean, I, I saw that, that that was like an initial phase of the mushroom trip, um, both when I did the megadose and when I did the couple of caps. When I did the couple of caps, all I saw was sort of flashing 
purplish or violetish imagery, um, mandalas and symbols and things like that. I never got beyond that. There does seem to be like there's that, and then you break through that, you know, as if going through a wormhole into another whole other place. It's the feeling of that anyway. And this is probably just breaking through to yet another state of mind or stage of being that we visit as a state of mind. Um, but the, the seeing faces, that's something that happens a lot with me. In fact, it happened last night, you know, as I'm trying to fall asleep, I'll just see in my mind's eye, a bunch of flashing faces or morphing faces that just sort of bleed into each other. And they seem to have no relevance or anything. They just kind of do that. And that would be another example of an appearance from the subtle realm as you're, you know, engaging with sleep, according to Ken Wilber. So um, could shadow people come from there, from whatever that is? And I wonder, are there also um, stages of engagement with these states of mind or stages of mind? In other words, like when I see the symbols and the mandalas and stuff on the mushroom trip, that's just something I'm seeing in my mind's eye. When I close my eyes, there it is. Um, however, when you break on through to the other side, man, you break on through to not just visionary stuff with your eyes closed, but in the room with you. The room comes alive, and it's not just visual, it's auditory. Um, lots of stuff plays out, <laughs> right? You know, if you want to call that a hallucination, okay. I mean, whatever word encapsulates it best. Seemingly, your mind is traveling in the sense of switching states of itself. Um, which, I guess, you know, you could say gets translated as if you're moving somewhere. So you're going from the normal state into this state of seeing symbols with your eyes closed, and if you're listening to music as I was, you're hearing it bend, and it's awful, and then you got to turn it off. Um, into your room coming alive, shadows coming alive, um, all of that. Into imaginary stuff happening in the room. A spaceship cr crashing through the ceiling where... Uh, you know, cricket people get out of it or being buried alive or having um, a vine grow from your stomach inside up through your uh, up through your throat and just sort of hanging out in your mouth. And you can you have to sort of retrain yourself to breathe with this vine in your body. Uh, all of these things are things I experienced, by the way, on that on that big mushroom trip. Um. And on and on to you changing me. I was, I became this sort of animalistic clown, which is arguably what I am. So maybe it showed me my true face. I don't know. Uh, and, but all of these things seem to unfold in either stages or in waves. In fact, with the mushroom trip, at least I haven't done anything else. And I've only done this the twice, um, with that large dose uh, you have a bunch of experience and then it subsides, it sort of recedes and then like the tide and then it comes back full force and then you know, you're back in it again and there's no escaping and it does this for hours. 
and you have different experiences with your eyes closed than with your eyes open. Eyes open, everything's in the room, it's happening to you, you, you including you, all of these changes and hallucinatory events. Um, with your eyes closed, it's as if uh, you are traveling, astrally traveling, whatever you want to say. You're immersed in um, these other places, you know. For me, I mean, one of them was a giant pyramid in a meadow. So sort of coming up to this thing, flying around and all of that. That some people say, oh, it was an out-of-body experience. I don't believe that. I think it is all in your head. Uh, I just think that that's more amazing and quote-unquote miraculous than we give it credit for. I mean, in that sense, we are bringing the astral travel to us. Like we talk about, you know, always wanting to bring truth down to your level into the egoic sense of self. In a way, that's kind of like bringing all of this subtle realm stuff or these other realms into our fold, into our mind's eye, into our our gaze. Uh, and because we can do that, we we I suppose hope we can do that with truth too. I mean, we can bring things to us physically. We can bring things to us mentally. Um, through will, and we can bring things to us in this dreamscapish, ethereal, hallucinatory way through uh, plant medicines and drugs and stuff, right? So why wouldn't that also, therefore, be what happens with truth? Well, because it doesn't. <laughs> Pathless land, that truth. Oh, Jito Krishnamurti was so right about that. Um, so whatever the deal is with shadow people, wherever they're from, whatever state of mind one is in to access them or that they may put you into. I mean, I suppose the humming, you know, when people have high strangers experiences and they talk about humming or buzzing, it feels like bees are all around me or, you know, I'm, my body is buzzing. You know, we have these sorts of important lesser understood components that are tonal and that are vibratory that um, seem to happen at the onset of some experiences. And could it be that someone from elsewhere is doing that to us to connect with us? Um, or is it just a circumstance? Or is it that when we end up doing that, uh, we end up somewhere else or we end up able to see more in the room? Um, you know, we just don't know the answers to all these things, but... Uh, the thing that we do know, once again, I go back to, the terror is a disembodied terror. Nothing punches you in the face, even if it lands in the room. Nothing whisks you off to Narnia. And likewise, um, except in rare circumstances, such as, you know, maybe how the Western world was born through a conversation with a goddess uh, back by Parmenides in ancient Greece. Uh, you know, nothing important really happens. Nothing important is communicated. It may feel important at the time. It may feel as though you're big, being given the keys to the universe, but then what happens with that download, man? I was downloaded. Well, you either for, completely forget it, um, or you remember it and you say it out loud and it sounds stupid, um, or trite. And then that's when you have to be, uh, counting on non judgmentalism to hold on to it as something that was important from the depth experience. Because if nobody's judging you and they're all going, Oh yeah, gee, wow. 
then you can delude yourself into believing that, you know, when you were told to not take any wooden nickels <laughs> by by a ghost <laughs> in a nether land, uh, that that was really good information. That was really something you couldn't have come up with on your own. Um, but really, this doesn't happen a lot, right? I mean, mostly what happens is uh, stuff that is about your own personal baggage, things given to you to work on. A mirror is held up to you to reflect you at you. Um, and uh, heightened feelings of love or terror or, you know, acceptance or rejection. Um, these heightened senses, these heightened emotions. And I guess just the overwhelming nature of that makes us feel as though it's spiritual uh, or truth alive. But is it? If it is, where are all the good people in the world coming out of these experiences? They don't exist. <laughs> Not in greater quantity than any other experience in life. Um, so if you have an experience like this that you can grow with, well, that's great. But at our undoing, of course, we concentrate on the undoing, the not learning so much as having the transformative experience, which brings us into our wholeness, the wholeness of our being so that there isn't this guessing game and this dragging things to us for our continued growth and nurturing. I mean, imagine a world where we got over ourselves and asked, how can we help you? How can we grow you? How can we nurture you to any of these phenomena that we invite into our lives or take drugs to get to because we want to learn something or we want to know what's real or whatever that is. But also imagine a world where even though you're terrified, there's some little piece of you that is stable enough in the moment with something like a shadow being to negate the shadow being itself. I mean... Odds are it is neither really a shadow nor a person. <laughs> it is a Rorschach test. And um, what if you were to laugh at it? What if you were to ask it how much wood would a woodchuck chuck? What if you were to tell it a sci-fi story about who you were and what you wanted to do for them? Uh that just, as far as you know, makes absolutely no sense to them. I mean, can you confuse the paranormal? Can you out-trickster the trickster? If the game is one of identity, identifying, categorizing the unknown as the known, telling that story after you've had the experience to all who will listen, to create a story for it, at least in this state of mind, what happens when you don't do that anymore? You still have the experience. You don't negate the fact that the experience is happening. But you refuse to play along with what appears to be the thing that links all high strangeness experiences together, which is they demand to be defined and spoken about in great emotive depth. This is just what they produce in us. If we stopped doing that, if we stopped 
defining them by those terms, does something change in our relationship with these beings, with these realms, or with us? <laughs> 